this is a special Easter because um, we have spent the last um, six months and really the last four years going through the book of Luke, and it is timed out to where um, the last three months we've spent pretty much in Holy Week. Uh, we've been able to look deeply and drink deeply from the well that tells us exactly what Jesus' movements were. We've seen over the course of the last few months how Jesus taught, knowing that this was his last time with his disciples. Even though he, he knew he was going to ra be raised from the dead, he knew that he's going to ascend. This is my last opportunity to teach the disciples and this last opportunity to do evangelism among the people of Israel. And we feel the pace that he's keeping. And last week we looked at the crowd as they proclaimed him Messiah and identified his deity and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we saw in that same crowd the duplicity as just a few days later they argued with a Roman, no, he should die. And so we've seeing the ebb and flow of what's going on in a way that maybe you haven't before. And I hope that that's the case. It's a special Easter because it feels like, for humanity, it's spring, right? It feels like we're all kind of coming out of this last year. If you remember, last year on Easter, we were out there in the parking lot like a bunch of weirdos. Some weirder than others. Just say it. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if this pandemic was going to come through and, and kill us all. We didn't know how it was going to be. We, you know, every time it seemed like we could come up for air a little bit, the numbers would go up and we'd get stuck back in the house. So right now feels like a really special spring. It's like we're all kind of waking up. We're, we're, we're starting to, to go out more, and we're starting to feel like um, we, we can go out without the, the death stalking us as we go. For me, this is a special Easter because uh, some of you may know that uh, just a, a, a little over a month ago, uh, I had a massive heart attack, and um, I, I will say that after that heart attack, the thing that's been the hardest isn't the physical stuff. Um, and that's, that's been weird, trying to relearn how to eat. I was telling someone today that uh, I, I was at the grocery store. I was at Publix, which is the crunchiest grocery store in the history of grocery stores. I, whenever I go into Publix, I always feel like, I, this, I do not belong here. I need to get to Johnson's quick. Um, and so I was in Publix, and I asked the guy, hey, this kid walks by, excuse me. And normally, they follow you around, right? Can I help you with something? Do you need something? And so I, this kid walks by, and I stop him. I said, hey, man, where's your um, vegetable-based meat stuff, your, your hot dogs and burgers that are, that are uh, vegan? And he literally rolled his eyes at me. And I'm like, really? In Publix? And I wanted to justify myself and say, look, man, I'm not crunchy. I'm just trying to live. Um, I'm not that guy. I don't have any Birkenstocks. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I just want to live another year, okay? So I'm trying to relearn how to eat. But the, the hardest part of this, and I'm just going to be honest with you as your pastor, has been here. 
where um, it seems like I came so close to dying that I questioned myself in everything. And the words that Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, then we of all men are most pitiable. We're a bunch of losers who are playing a game. If the story that we read today isn't true, if what scientists tell us is that when we breathe our last, we become nothing is true, then we're wasting our time. And so this story for us is everything. This story for us is amazingly needed. Now, that's unusual for this reason. We said last week when we looked at the cross that that is the moment that all of our sins are dumped on Jesus. All of the shame that we deserve for our sin, right? It's hard for us to think about this if every wicked, evil thing you had ever done was just played on film for all the world to see. That would be shameful. And that's not just you. That's, I, I don't want my sins written up and told everybody. And my shame is taken on the cross, the punishment that I deserve for my sin. The wages, the payment for sin is death. And that is poured out on Jesus on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, and that veil that we talked about last week was ripped from top to bottom, now we can boldly go before the throne of grace. The victory has been won the debt has been paid. Death is killed at the cross. In the book of Revelation, it said, He destroyed the destroyer. What a great way to say it. If all of that happens, why do Christians make a, such a big deal about the resurrection? Now, I want to bring you back a few, well, years ago when we were in, study, in the middle of the book of Luke. Jesus is just beginning his ministry, and there's a story where Jesus is in this room teaching, and the room is just cram-packed. People are piled into the room, and this guy is crippled from birth, is what the text says. And his friends were trying to bring him to Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. And they couldn't get to him. And so you've all heard the story. They climb up on the roof and they tear a hole in the roof and they lower this dude down in front of Jesus. And I can just imagine teaching and stuff floating down as they're tearing down and then big chunks of stuff and everybody's looking up and Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden this dude comes being lowered down from the ceiling. Not an everyday occurrence. And so now nobody's paying attention to what Jesus is saying. They're paying attention to the fact that this dude's being lowered. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious people in the room said to themselves, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus asked the question, knowing what they're thinking in their heart. He said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or arise, pick up your bed, and walk? 
Now, we read that, and we don't quite get what he's getting at. But what he's saying is, is it's easy for me to say to him, your sins are forgiven. I could walk around and go, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's like oh, the Oprah of sins, right? Look under your chair. You're all your sins are forgiven. Woo! Because there's nothing to disprove what I'm saying. I may not have the authority to forgive sins, but if I could say it, and if I can whip everybody up emotionally, I could get you to believe it, and then everybody leaves feeling good, right? We know that's what Jesus' point is because he then says, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sin. He looks at the guy. I say to you, arise, pick up your bed and walk. And immediately the guy got up, took his bed and walked out. Okay, so Jesus has made lots of truth claims. We've studied in detail over the last week. We know that Jesus makes statements like, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus makes statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus makes all these statements but so has thousands of false prophets throughout human history. Lots of people have made claims to truth. So even though we believe that the forgiveness was bought at the cross, we believe that our shame, our sin, our punishment is poured out on Jesus at the cross, and we believe that death is slayed at the cross, how do we know that it's true? How do we know that this Jesus guy is just not some guy? Now, during his life, he did things to prove that, just like he did in the story that we said when he said, arise, pick up your bed, and walk. But the ultimate statement of truth is the fact that three days later, that tomb is empty. Because Dead people don't get out of the grave. Even Nietzsche recognized that. Nietzsche said, the dead know nothing except they want to be alive. Dead people stay dead. And so, even though Jesus had told them, all right, in three days, I'm going to rise again, even his closest disciples didn't believe it. You can tell from the story, the angels are shocked that they came to anoint the body. The ladies come, Joanna, Mary, the other Mary, and then the third Mary, show up. They've got the stuff to anoint the body. They're assuming that dead Jesus is still going to be in the grave. And these angels are standing there and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you this? He told you this was going to happen. When the ladies go back, which by the way, one of the reasons why we know this story is true is in the first century, a, a woman could not give testimony to truth or falseness. If this was a made-up story, nobody would have made the story up with women being the first people who see Jesus. The ladies run back. Most of the disciples hear them, and they don't believe it. They heard Jesus say when he was in Galilee that I'm going to rise again, but they don't believe him. 
They don't believe the ladies. They didn't believe Jesus when he said it. It's like Peter and John, and they go running back. And they find that Jesus is alive. Peter sees him alive. In fact, over the next few days, 500 people see Jesus alive. Jesus is alive, which has a massive impact on what we believe because those true statements that Jesus makes is verified. Think of it this way. I could write everybody in this church a check for a million dollars. I could write you all a check for a million dollars. I just write those checks all day long and give them out. Here you go. Million dollars for you, million dollars for you, million dollars for you. And are any of those checks going to clear? Not a one. In fact, the fine folks at Wells Fargo are going to laugh and laugh and laugh and send me a $35 bill for each one. <laughs> Jesus made lots of true statements. His disciples didn't believe him. But those checks cleared. That's the point of the resurrection. That the things that he said were true. Plato is dead. Nietzsche is dead. Marcus Aurelius is dead. Cato is dead. Mohammed is dead. The Buddha is dead. Famous people that we love and follow in the United States. Muhammad Ali is dead. Elvis is dead. Gandhi is dead. Human beings, if there's anything in common, we all will die. Every person in this room will have an appointment with eternity. It's already been set. But Jesus is alive. He got out of the grave, which means that he's the first fruit of your everlasting life. So I want us to take the rest of this morning and look at the consequences we know the story, so let's look at the consequences. And the consequences are there for multiple people. The impact of this for the dead, oh, we already looked at the story. See, I'm slow. I'm getting used to the new clicker. The impact first for the dead. And I read this text on every funeral I preach. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The reason why we as believers do not mourn as those who have no hope, that we know that because Jesus is alive, the statements he made before he died were true. Believers don't stay dead. I can stand. Now, here's the reality. You got to do a funeral for everybody, right? If somebody dies and they go, preacher, you do the funeral, you can't really turn them down. And I, I got, actually, it was a few Easter's ago, I shared the story, and Ann just lowered her head, because. but I'll, I'm, I'm going to, I'll make sure that it's not ugly. I did a funeral, and it was somebody I did not know. I didn't know them, and so I went to the funeral home before the funeral 
uh, to meet the family. It was a situation where literally the pastor that was supposed to do the funeral uh, got sick and couldn't do it. So I get a call the day of the funeral. Will you do this funeral? And I'm like, absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll help you up. So I show up at the funeral home, and I'm talking with the family, and I'm not getting any input. I'm trying to get some stories. What can I say about this lady? And all of her brothers are looking at their shoes going, well, there's just so much to say. I just don't know what to say. And so I'm getting nothing. And as I am kind of go from the brothers to the kids, and I'm over here at Cousins, and the lady looked at me and said, I'm not going to lie to you, preacher. She was a jerk. <laughs> she used a lot more colorful language than that, but that's what she told me. Nobody liked her. The only reason we're here is because she put us in her will. And I'm like, I, I don't need to know that right now. I mean, I, would, I, would, I need to know something to say, right? Some funerals are hard. Some are not. If that person was a strong believer, I can point to that box and say, he ain't here. We know where he is. And we know, based on that book, exactly where they are. And that that last breath they took, they were buried perishable. They were buried weak. They were buried broken. But they will be raised in power and strength and glory and might. Why? Because Jesus is alive. So there's an impact for the dead. There's an impact for the living. For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So can, you must also consider yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is what he's saying. And I may be the only one here who can say this. I struggle with my sin. I have literally gotten up from my knees praying for my family and walked in the room and screamed at one of my children like a complete and total jerk because they did something I didn't like. How, how is that possible? I've shared with you that I, I keep these journals as I go through my day and I put my prayer requests down and it frustrates me sometimes to look at the sins that I struggled with 40 years ago, I still struggle with today. I still struggle with anger. I still struggle with the need to be in control of everything. Some of the, I know that's shocking to some of you. You're like, really him? I struggle with lust. I struggle with laziness. I struggle with these sins, and sometimes it feels like there's nothing I can do about it. What this text is saying is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me. 
so that every day I can be just a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit more like Jesus. And hopefully all of you can look at me and go, hey, he's, a, he, he's still a jerk, but he's not nearly as much of a jerk as he was five years ago. And that God's power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me. So there's an impact from the resurrection in my daily life. There's an impact to the living. There's an impact to those of you who are lost. I have to know that in this room, there's some folks who don't follow him, who don't know him, who Christianity's a nice thing, but I'm not really buying into it. Paul writes, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, we're just following along. As we, we look at our culture and society, I, I recently was uh, flipping channels and ended up watching The Wonder Years. Have you ever seen The Wonder Years? It's a TV show about life in the, the 60s. Uh, most of the men in this room at some point or the other in their life had a crush on Winnie Cooper. I'm just saying. Um, if you've never watched The Wonder Years, you've missed out. And I, I watched maybe 30 minutes of it, and I thought, that's nothing like the country we live in today. How did we get from there to here? And I'm not, I'm not nostalgic. I'm not looking back and saying that the 60s were some time of perfection, because they weren't. The 60s were not kind to you if you were African American. The 60s were not kind to you if you were this way or that way. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, how did we get from a country that was here to where we are today? And it's just the natural flow. And you know what? It's easy just to follow along. We're just following the world. And when we're following after the world, we're following the enemy, the prince of the powers of the air. And they're at work in the sons of disobedience. And we all did that at one point in our lives. We were carried by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were talking in the uh, Revelation podcast, I don't really need Satan's help to sin. My own body pulls me, my own desires, my own passions carries me along just fine. I want what I want. I mean, again, trying to relearn how to eat. I look at a Reese cup at Dollar General now and just weep. <laughs> because all the healthy variations of that stink. I'm sorry, they're terrible. No matter what I tell my, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then you're, <laughs> a Reese cup is good. All that fat in a steak is good. And I want some. <laughs> it's just terrible. Oh, we got to get back to the Bible here. Hold on. Um, our body, our desires, our flesh carry us along. Again, we've joked about the fact that we never have to teach our kids how to sin. They got that down on their own. Every one of my kids within the first 10 Top 10 words that they learned was mine. 
And my kids, I, I'm sure, sure my kids alone were particularly wicked, but um, one of them could be over here playing with something and fine, happy. And then another, their brother or sister come in and start playing with something else. Mine! Ah! Give it here. Ah! And right screaming. I'm like, just give it back to them. Stop! We naturally want what we want. And there's nothing that changes human beings. Naturally. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with, he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. I've shared with the church once before, we lived in North Carolina when I went to seminary, and we lived at this house in a nice little neighborhood, and at the end of the cul-de-sac was um, this crazy guy. When we moved into the neighborhood, all the people that we met, like across the street neighbors and people here said, oh, no, don't go to the end of the cul-de-sac because that guy's crazy. And sure enough, he was crazy. Um, he had been uh, a ranger in the army, and um, he was absolutely covered in tats, and you knew that he was covered in tats because I never saw this guy wear a shirt. And he had Bible verses all over him, like the, the, the reference to the Bible verses, not the verses. So he, he, and he had one really prominent that was like Proverbs 17, 6 or something. And, and so I asked him, what is that? Because I couldn't think of what it was. What is that verse? And he, I don't know. I'm like, so you got a Bible verse tattooed on you and you don't even know what it says? And because of some of the things that happened to him in his life, he actually kept a, a deer stand in a tree, and at night he would have to sleep in that tree because he would have panic attacks because he thought people were coming to get him. And I got to know this guy over time, and he wasn't, he wasn't crazy. He was just damaged, and he was actually a really cool guy other than the fact that he always walked around with these jorts on, these jean shorts, and no shirt. <laughs> and occasionally he would fire a firearm off into the woods. And I remember one day sharing the gospel with him. We were, we were sitting over a big box, and I said, Dude, you just need to get saved. What you need more than anything is Jesus. And he said, Yeah, you're right. I just need to quit drinking. And I said, I, I'm not sure where you got that from what I just said. But I ain't saying anything about you quitting drinking. I'm saying you need to call on the name of the Lord. You need Jesus. And he said, I, I, I've been telling my mom I need to get into church. Are, are we having the same conversation? Because every time I said, what you need is Jesus, he would tell me something that he should do. And that's this idea that we've built in our mind. I need to clean my life up before I come to Jesus. That's not possible. If we could clean our life up, we wouldn't need Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Today is the day of salvation. I've lost the clicker. We are his workmanship created in Christ, which God prepared for beforehand that we should live in him. Today is the day of salvation. 
Don't think you have to clean your life up to come to Him. The resurrection proves to us because dead people don't get a little less dead. That's not how it works. As Christians in Christ, we believe this. Because of the resurrection, we know that this world is not our home and this life is not all there is. In fact, Jesus says what the wise man does is not build up for themselves treasures on this earth that moth and rust are going to destroy and thieves are going to steal and we aren't just here building up our cash. And when I try, used to teach this, I would tell the story of a lady that I knew in North Carolina that was extremely rich. And when she died, she didn't have anything but a blanket that was hers. But I've got a new analogy from just a few weeks ago. When I was laying in that hospital and Ann came and told me it's going to be okay, which is really my only memory in the hospital. I didn't have anything. And I mean, I'm an everyday carry kind of guy, and I got stuff that I always have. I always have a pocket knife with me. I always carry a flashlight with me. I have a Zippo lighter that I have nearby. I don't smoke, but you never know when you might need fire, right? And when I'm laying there on that bed, they'd cut all that stuff off of me. I had nothing. This world is not going to feed us. This world is not going to meet our needs. This world is never enough. It's not going to satisfy you. None of your achievements, none of your stuff, None of everything that we fight for in this culture, everything that we believe is the American dream, it's never enough. There's always something else. Jesus is enough. We can be satisfied in Him. And the resurrection proves that He is worthy. Father God, We thank you. We praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you that that grave is empty. Lord, we thank you that you satisfy us. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you are the God of the living and the dead. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even the grave couldn't hold you. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. As we come to this time of invitation, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who's never called on your name to be saved, Lord, I pray that they would do it today. Lord, if there's any believer in here who isn't looking to your power to overcome sin, God, I pray that today they would recognize the power that raised you from the dead is available to them to help them overcome sin. Lord, the resurrection helps us mourn as those who have hope. The resurrection helps us live as those 
who have eternity waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.